Well, the biggest uh, news this week, um, obviously, was the um, passing of Queen Elizabeth II at 96 years old. She's the longest serving monarch in all of British history. Uh, she reigned for 70 years. And now that she's passed away, the throne has been um, passed on to, um, uh, what's his name, Charles. Uh, so we're, we're going to have to try to get used to um, King Charles III. Uh, it shouldn't take too long to catch on. But it seems like that transition um, has gone fairly smoothly. I don't see any rivals to the throne at this point of time. Uh, but do you realise it's not always that way when there's a change in the monarchy, uh, especially in the past? Uh, throughout history, there have been many times where the death of the monarch meant great turmoil for the nation. Uh, sometimes there would be power struggles where a rival would be put forward and there, there would be a battle for the throne and a rival would end up taking over. And usually when that happened, it meant that a whole heap of people died because what the rival would do was to go out and make sure that every last person that was tied to that previous monarchy was dead so that no one one day could rise up and, and try to reclaim uh, the throne. Uh, that was the way of securing power uh, for the new monarchy. And you actually see that a lot even in the um, history of the Old Testament, uh, the history of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, a classic example is uh, you know, King Ahab, that, that wicked king. Uh, when Jehu became king in place of Ahab, uh, what did Jehu do? He made sure that every last descendant of Ahab um, was gone, knocked off. Uh, now, the story of David... In 1 Samuel, this is a story of, remember I said the, the rise of David, the fall of Saul. This is David. He's going to replace uh, Saul as the king of Israel. And uh, David has been anointed secretly. Saul has started to catch on that David is the replacement king. And Saul is absolutely determined to make sure that David never, ever gets the throne. He, last week we looked at two chapters and in those two chapters we saw that Saul made seven attempts to get rid of David, to kill him, threw his spear at him three times, had assassinators go out after him. Saul himself went out to assassinate him. Seven times he tried to kill David, failed every time because God was protecting his anointed. Now caught up in all of this rivalry and tension between David and Saul is... Saul's son, Jonathan. And that's what our uh, chapter today focuses on, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan's relationship to David. Now, Jonathan, he was the natural heir to the throne as Saul's son. And so you would expect, under normal uh, circumstances, that uh, because Saul was so determined to make sure that David didn't get the throne, you would expect that Jonathan would have all of that same sort of rivalry and, and hatred towards David that Saul had. And yet in, in the story of David and Jonathan, we see that Jonathan not only has no ill feelings toward David, but he actually is David's closest friend. In fact, Jonathan, the relationship between Jonathan and David, their friendship, it's, it's almost legendary. It's one of the greatest examples of friendship um, of all time. And partly because it was such an unlikely friendship. These are two guys who were supposed to be enemies. And yet they have the closest friendship you could possibly get. 
And what we see in chapter 20 is that their friendship had an element to it that made it that made their relationship deeper than just friendship. Uh, because their friendship, at the very heart of their friendship, was this covenant that they made. Uh, their friendship was expressed in a covenant. And that is the main theme of the chapter. The covenant between David and Jonathan. The covenant and, and all of its outworkings. And uh, this idea of covenant. Okay, covenant is a huge topic in the Bible. If you want to know what the Bible is about, look at the covenant. The covenant is at the very heart of the Bible. It's at the very heart of our relationship with God. Uh, whenever God enters a relationship with someone, it's always by means of a covenant. And so when we explore um, Jonathan's covenant with David today, we'll actually see a lot, that we can learn a lot just from that about what it means to be in a relationship with the true and living God or in a relationship with the King of Kings, uh, which is a good, better way of uh, talking about it. Okay, so let's learn about the covenant then. Uh, there's three aspects that this passage describes for us or, or portrays. Uh, it shows us the security of the covenant, the priority of the covenant, but also the cost. There's a cost involved. So first of all, we see here in this passage the security the covenant provides. The security the covenant provides. That's in verses 1 to 11. It uh, begins with David fleeing to Jonathan uh, to ask him, why is Saul trying to kill him? Uh, he says there in verse 1, what have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that, that he seeks my life? Now we might answer David, Duh, David, you're the anointed king. That's why he wants to kill you. But we need to just sort of wind back a bit and realize not once did David try to take the throne on his own terms. Okay, he knows that God has promised it to him, but David was completely at peace with the timing. Okay, he left it completely up to God to decide when that will be. And at no point did, it, did David ever try to, to take it by force. Uh, he had no personal animosity towards Saul. There was no sense of rivalry on David's side against Saul. David just trusted in the Lord that, that God will put him into the kingship at, in the right time. And so instead, up until now, David has served Saul faithfully. Uh, he was Saul's personal musician. Uh, he was then Saul's, uh, one of Saul's uh, captains in the um, army. And David has been faithful. He's been loyal to Saul. Countless times he's put his life on the line in service to Saul. And so after all of that faithfulness, David's saying to Jonathan, Why, what is wrong with your father? Why does he hate me so much? What have I done to deserve all this hatred? Now at first Jonathan um, dismisses it in, in verse 2. He says, no, you're not going to die. Uh, he says, look, my, my father, he always tells me what's going on. And he hasn't mentioned anything about wanting to kill you, apart from that other time. But remember, I talked him out of that. Remember, he promised that he wasn't going to do that. And Jonathan, he seems a little bit naive at this point. Uh, he doesn't realize how twisted Saul had become in all of Saul's jealousy against David. David insists it true. it's true. He says, no, you, you need to wake up, Jonathan. He's trying to kill me. And uh, so they come up with a test to prove Saul's intentions towards David. 
Uh, that's in verse 5. Uh, there's, a, there's a feast coming up. David's supposed to be at it. But he says he'll miss the feast and then we'll, we'll watch how Saul reacts. If Saul is cool with that, then we'll, we'll know that, that it's safe, that it's okay for David to come along. But if Saul reacts, if he gets angry, then that will prove that he's definitely out to kill David. So that's the test they set up. But the big question at this point, though, we need to sort of stop and go, hang on a minute, how can David trust Jonathan? Because after all, Jonathan is Saul's own son. And Jonathan was uh, the natural heir to the throne. So how is it that David could turn to Jonathan at a time like this? How is it that David could be confident that confiding in Jonathan was a good idea? After all, you've probably heard that saying, blood is thicker than water. You ever heard that saying? It's a saying that means that family ties will always be stronger than any other relationship. So you must never try to you know, set one against the other. Uh, so how can David trust Saul's own son at a time like this? How can he be sure that Jonathan won't flip and side with Saul and actually lure him into a trap? Now the answer comes in verse 8. If you have a look at verse 8, uh, this is where uh, David says to Jonathan, Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant, a covenant of the Lord with you. So this is why David knows he can fully depend on Jonathan. It's not just because they're friends. The reason he can trust Jonathan is because they have entered into a covenant. A covenant. Now, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? A covenant is a relationship of absolute commitment. Okay, it's a bond or it's an agreement between two parties that cannot be broken. It's kind of like a contract. I think we're all familiar with contracts, uh, especially if you've um, ever bought something really big. Like if you've ever bought a house, you, you enter into a contract and you have those uh, countless pages with all these little notes where you have to sign. And when you, as soon as you sign that contract, you're bound. Okay, you can't just one day decide, oh, I don't want to bother with this anymore and just walk away. No, no, you're bound by contract. You, you have to come through with the terms that are laid out in that contract. It can't just be broken. Now, a covenant is like that, but a covenant, it's focused more on the, the aspect of relationship. Now, a contract with um, buying a house, there's no relationship involved. It's not like you go out for dinner with whoever you're in contract with. Um, but a covenant's different. A covenant is all about the relationship. And so there are terms, there are obligations, there is a commitment that cannot be broken, but it's about this relationship, a relationship of absolute commitment. Now, David and Jonathan have entered into that, that covenant, that commitment together, and they did that back in chapter 18, and it is actually worth us um, turning back there, just turning back one page, and uh, having a look at that again, chapter 18, verse 3, where it says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. 
Now, this is the covenant that Jonathan entered into with David. And you can see that it was a covenant where Jonathan was committing himself to David being the future king. That's what all of that stripping of the robe and handing over the, the, uh, the armour and the, um, the weapons was all about. Uh, see, see, Jonathan's robe was the royal robe. That represented his... his well, the, he was the crown prince, that one day he would have the throne. But here he is taking that off and he's giving it to David. That's symbolic to say, David, I'm committing myself to you being the future king, not myself. I'm handing that over to you. That was the covenant. That was the commitment. The commitment to David's kingship. And uh, that commitment, it took the form of this covenant. And it's interesting that um, back in chapter 20, verse 8, where it says that they made a covenant, uh, it, actually, it actually says in the original language that they cut a covenant. They cut a covenant. And that word cut, it's very important because the way they, they made a, a covenant back then, they didn't have like documents where they signed on the dotted line. What they would actually do, they would take an animal, they would cut the animal in half, arrange it in almost like um, these two chairs here, and then both parties would walk between the animals as if to say, may I become like this animal and that animal, this, these two parts, if I do not keep my promises of this covenant. See, that's, that's how binding it was, saying this is, I will do it or else be killed. And you can see, even see that where David goes on to say, you know, if there is guilt between me, you know, if I've broken the covenant, kill me yourself. So it was a covenant that could not be broken. And notice in verse 8 that, that um, David says to Jonathan, therefore deal kindly with me. And that word kindly, this is a covenant word. Uh, the word itself means, uh, it has the idea of steadfastness in it. It's, this word's usually translated steadfast love. And you see that word all through the Bible when it's talking about God's love of his people, that God's love of his people is steadfast love. And that's because God enters into a covenant with his people. God binds himself eternally with his people so that he's obligated to love them no matter what. See how God's love is steadfast. It can't be broken. And uh, that's why you have passages like Lamentations. Uh, this is an example of the Bible celebrating God's covenant love. It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Okay, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, that's, that's God's covenant love, his steadfast love. If you have that, then you are safe forever. You can never be separated from, from God's covenant love. And, and so that, that, when it comes to covenants in the Bible, that's what's at the very heart of them, this steadfast love. That's why at a time like this, Jonathan, uh, sorry, David can appeal to Jonathan saying, show me your kindness, show me your steadfast love at a time like this when my life is on the line and do as you have promised. Okay, you've committed yourself to me being the king. Do everything you can to protect me. That's why David can trust in Jonathan at this time, because of this covenant. Now, as I mentioned at the start, uh, this Jonathan's relationship with David, this covenant that they had, 
it reflects the relationship of the Lord with his people. Because whenever God enters into a relationship with people, it's always in terms of a covenant where God binds himself to his people to love them no matter what. No matter what. And uh, that's why you have um, these passages like um, that one in Lamentations. Uh, God's steadfast love. That's what we can rely on. That's our security as believers. That's how we can look into the future and think about the day when we will die and know that we're safe. Why? Because God has committed himself to loving his own people. He's bound himself. And he will never break that promise. That's why we have that that wonderful passage in Romans 8 about nothing ever separating us from the love of Christ because of God's covenant, because of his steadfast love. And this really is the most incredible revelation of God that we have in the Bible. It's the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God. And that is where your security is found. Uh, This is something that's so wonderful. We even sing about it. You know that song that has that line, uh, His oath, His covenant and blood are my defence against the flood. When earthly hopes are swept away, He will uphold me on that day. How do I know He will uphold me? Because He has pledged Himself in covenant to show His steadfast love. And that's the security the covenant provides. Uh, This is why we learn about covenants, because it it actually is practical. It it gives that sense of assurance that we are safe in God's hands. Now, second, though, the second thing we learn here about the covenant is the priority of it. Okay, It it creates a priority. Excuse me. Uh, The priority the covenant requires And uh, that's in verses 12 to 17. Uh, Here we see David and Jonathan, they commit themselves to protecting each other. So first in verses 12 to 13, we have um, Jonathan's commitment to protect David. Uh, He says that the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, Behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do your harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So that's Jonathan pledging to warn David if he is in danger. And Jonathan was committed to doing that because they had made this this covenant. And uh, you've actually got to see in that, you've got to see in that the selflessness of Jonathan. Because here he is doing everything he can to make sure David becomes a future king. And that's all at the expense of himself. Okay, he's renounced the kingship. He's embraced David as the true king. And so Jonathan, he's, you know, he's giving up everything. He was going to be the future king, but he's, he's given that up. And Saul, his father, could not understand why. You know, later on, we'll see Saul get angry at Jonathan, saying, what's wrong with you? Don't you realize what you've given up? But see, Jonathan had no interest in getting the throne himself because he recognized who 
God's king was. He recognized that God had rejected his father from being king, had chosen another one. And because Jonathan was all about serving the Lord, that's why he committed himself to David. That's why he did everything he could to make sure that David was safe and uh, showed that, that, that um, commitment in um, putting his life on the line to warn David. And, see, and so you can see how the covenant creates a priority. For Jonathan, what was the priority? David's safety. That came before everything else, even his own safety. Now, then in verses 14 to 17, we have uh, Jonathan calling David to then protect him. So look at verse 14. Jonathan says, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord uh, take vengeance on David's enemies. And uh, so here we see, remember I said at the start that sometimes when a new king or you know, a rival king takes the throne, that what does he do? He goes and then cuts off everyone who used to belong to the old kingship. And what's Jonathan doing? He's saying to David, because of our covenant, don't do that for me. <laughs> don't do that to me in the future. See, Jonathan's confident David will be the future king. But he's saying that when that happens, don't do what kings normally do. Don't kill off all the rivals. Instead, show your steadfast love. See, there's that word. Uh, show your love um, by uh, protecting me. And uh, that's what David would do. He, he would make sure that uh, when, when he does become king, that he wouldn't kill off Jonathan's line. Uh, now, Jonathan does end up dying, um, not from David, though, from the Philistines. But we even see later on in David's life, when he does become king, he, he finds out um, Mephibosheth, you know, this, uh, this fellow with um, legs that didn't work, and he shows kindness to um, Mephibosheth. And so again, we see the priority. See, David, what does he do? He puts Jonathan first. He puts Jonathan's line first, even at the expense of all other relationships and all other conventions. That's the priority that the covenant requires. Now we see, remember how we're saying that David and Jonathan, their relationship, it reflects the relationship that we have with Christ as his people. And so what do we see here? That the covenant with Christ, there's a it requires, makes a priority. Uh, the priority of the covenant. Now, to be in covenant with Jesus means that Jesus has to come before everything else. And uh, we, we see that Jonathan actually models that. He shows us what it looks like to seek first the kingdom because Jonathan puts the kingdom of God, you know, David becoming king, he puts that before his own kingship, he puts that before his his own future, his own security, his position. He puts all of that second to now embrace David as the king. And so he, Jonathan is the picture of one who has his priorities in the right order, who is in a relationship with the true king, and therefore the true king comes first. Everything else comes second. And that's, that's what it looks like to be in relationship with Christ. Because he is the king, and that means 
Everything else comes second to Jesus. That's the priority that the covenant requires. Okay, so there's a security, there's a priority, but the third thing we see, there's also a cost. There's a cost that the covenant demands, and we see that in the rest of the passage from verse 18. Uh, this is the part where the, the, um, you know, the test that Jonathan and David came up with, they put it into practice. So David hides in the field, uh, Jonathan goes off to the feast, David's seat is noticeably absent, Saul realises that. Uh, he says nothing on the first day, um, but then uh, in verse 27, on the second day of the feast, Saul asks Jonathan where David is. Uh, Jonathan makes up an excuse, and Saul just loses it. It's like a bomb goes off. He just explodes in anger and starts cursing Jonathan. And you've got to remember, this is in front of a whole heap of um, people. It'd be like a, um, you know, a church lunch. Imagine someone just blowing up and just going off there, um, you know, going crazy at someone else. You know, imagine how awkward that would be. And Saul, he, he, he gets so angry and he says in verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, he says to Jonathan, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Now, Jonathan tries to defend David. He says, why? What, is, what has David done wrong? And Saul gets so angry that he picks up a spear and he throws it at Jonathan, tries to kill Jonathan in front of everyone. Talk about an awkward party. And uh, it says that at that point, Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. That's a pretty good guess. But here we see the cost. There's a cost in the covenant because Jonathan has committed himself to David. That was costly. That was costly for Jonathan. It's already cost Jonathan his own kingship. But now we see it also costs him the approval of his father. Okay, His relationship with his father is now it's forever different. Not only that, it almost cost Jonathan his life. But Jonathan was willing to embrace the cost because of his commitment, because of the covenant that he made with David. Now we find it's the same with being in covenant with Christ. When we commit ourselves to the true king, to Jesus, there's always a cost involved. You know, when you put Jesus first, it means other things have to come second, and sometimes that brings friction. Uh, sometimes that doesn't work out very well with others. And uh, Jesus actually tells us all about this. Uh, he tells us a lot in uh, Luke's Gospel and in Matthew. Uh, but in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, uh, you see the cost that it brings uh, even in family where Jesus says, do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son. We see that, don't we, in Jonathan. Maybe Jesus had Jonathan in mind when he said that. Father against son, uh, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, and, and so on. But here, what's Jesus doing? He's just unpacking what it looks like to be in a relationship with him. Because it's a covenant relationship. That means Jesus is the priority. That means that whenever there's a clash where 
where you, you have to make a decision. Will I do what my family want me to do? Or will I do what Jesus wants me to do? Then there's going to be a clash. It brings division. It's costly. Now, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but this is, a, this is a cost that Jesus expects us to weigh up. He even says in Matthew 10 verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, it can cost relationships to be in covenant with Jesus. Uh, it can cost in other ways too. You know, Jonathan had to give up his kingdom, uh, put his life on the line. That, that can be something that even believers can face. Believers all throughout the world today, some are killed because they are in a relationship with Jesus. See, it's costly to be in a relationship with Christ. But this is a relationship where Jesus, look what he says in Matthew 19, verse 29. He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. See, the cost that we bear in following Jesus is never, <clears throat> well, we're never left short. <laughs> we receive far more than we could ever imagine uh, in the long term. But see, if there's a cost for us to be in relationship with Jesus, then there's also a cost for Jesus too. In fact, the cost for Jesus is far greater than we'll ever face ourselves. Uh, for Jesus to be in a covenant with us, it actually cost him his life. It cost him his blood. His blood was shed for us. And this is something that, you know, whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is what we celebrate. We celebrate the cost of the covenant for Jesus. Because when Jesus set up the Lord's Supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And this is what he was talking about. For him to save us, for him to make us his people and to bind himself eternally to us, it cost him. He had to give up his life. He had to go to the cross. And he had to do that because way back in eternity, the father actually entered into a covenant with his son. And the covenant commitment was that the father would send the son into the world to save a people who were his enemies, to die for them, to pay for their sin, to reconcile them to the father so that they can be friends forever. That was the cost for Jesus. He willingly took that on, paid it on the cross for us to make us his friends. See, we started by saying that Jonathan and David, two very unlikely friends, they should be enemies, yet they were committed to each other. And see, that's what we have in Christ. You know, by nature, we were enemies of Christ, yet he loved us, died for us to make us his own. Uh, in Proverbs 18:24, it says that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we know who that friend is. It's Jesus. And we know why he sticks closer to a brother, because he's made a covenant with us. He's committed himself, and he's done that by giving up his own life. See, if Christ has done that for you, if you're in that relationship with him, then that's, that's your security. That's your eternal security. 
and therefore it makes Christ the priority. It makes the cost that we bear in following him really nothing in the long run. That we have, we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the friend we have in Jesus. Well, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just praise you for this wonderful uh, reminder of the pledge that you have made uh, to be our God and for us to be your people. And we see that that pledge was costly in you giving up your own son and Jesus giving up his life on the cross to bear the eternal punishment that we deserved. But he gladly paid that price to make us his friends. We thank you that in the relationship between Jonathan and David, uh, that, that wonderful friendship that they had, that, that it's just a picture of, of what we have in Christ, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. So, Father, help us to, uh, to draw our comfort from, from all of your promises because we know they're sure. We know they come with your steadfast love. So help us to rest in your steadfast love, Father, especially when we feel uh, worried or anxious or in our own doubts and struggles, the doubts that plague our minds, Lord, of, of wondering uh, whether you, how, how could you possibly love us? Uh, but we know it's not based on, on our commitment, but on your commitment, and your commitment is sure, so help us to rest in that. We also pray, Father, that uh, knowing uh, your steadfast love, that that would give us the, uh, the ability to put you first and to live uh, lives that are faithful to you, we pray, Lord, that where we face um, a great cost in doing that, that we would um, be faithful like uh, we see in Jonathan and David, that we would be faithful to you and uh, that we would uh, obey you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.